0: First, a word from our sponsors. While forming friendships is a deeply human experience, it may not be as unique to our species as we think. As we age, we tend to have fewer yet closer friends, a phenomenon called socio-emotional selectivity. By studying the social behavior of apes, scientists discovered chimps do the same thing. They don't know why these animals show such similar social behavior to humans, but conclude both species learned that strongly established bonds help ensure survival. When Homo sapiens chose to become friendly 80,000 years ago, it set off a process that would change the course of history and pave the way for modern social networks. Making friends may be a fundamental and fun activity for humans and animals. And when it comes to evolutionary success, It may ultimately be survival of the friendliest. Welcome to the Abstract Podcast from Inverse. I'm Tanya Bustos, your host. Our first story is about what chimps can teach us about human friendships. As researchers reveal the similar social trends we share with these great apes, we gain valuable new insight about our closest relationships. Our second story is about why friendliness is the pivotal secret to our own species' success. In making a choice to become better at reading the cooperative intentions of others, human beings drove a cultural revolution that became the foundation of human society. This is The Abstract, a look at the latest scientific discoveries and technology innovations from the reporters at Inverse. In each episode, we explore a single theme through two different stories. Up now what chimpanzees can teach us about changing human
1: friendships. Meet Chimp Nine. Make friends. You'll make new friends, better friends. Uh-oh, he's got his own chimp! Trying to make friends. With my chimp sidekick!
2: I'm talking to a chimp. Why I even make friends anymore? Chimp! Uh, Chimpanzees, uh, ape-
1: I can't believe you were testing me against a chimp! They're just like us, really. But they're not like us.
0: They're just like us. Chimpanzees are famous for their similarities to humans, like their ability to use tools, for one. And while social interactions between chimps have been documented before, Researchers were curious about what their changing dynamics of friendships were like over time. By watching chimps' relationships play out over the decades, they discovered clues to one human phenomenon's evolutionary history, which is this. The older humans get, the smaller their social circle becomes. A study published October 2020 in the journal Science compared how social interactions were performed by both younger and older chimps and saw a striking similarity to what scientists have already observed in humans. Here to explain what we can learn from this chimp behavior as humans is Inverse's Sarah Wells. Hey, Sarah, how's it going? It's going good. So first, this team obviously had to look at years worth of chimp relationships. So what kind of things were they observing among these chimpanzees throughout the years? How are they essentially assessing their behaviors and relationships?
2: Yeah, so what they were mostly focusing on in this a little over two decades worth of observations of these chimps, they were looking at how relationships and, you know, as much as we can say friendships for someone, something that's not human, um, how those evolved through time for these chimps. So looking at two decades worth of data, they were able to track 21 different individuals from about like the age of 15 through 56, which is pretty old for a chimpanzee. And they were basically looking to see how friendships between different chimpanzees, specifically male chimpanzees, because female chimpanzees are a little more asocial, how those evolved through time and specifically whether they kind of mimicked human friendships. And with human friendships, as we get older, people might already experience themselves. Your social group gets smaller. um, You don't have as many friends as you used to maybe, but those friends that you do have are higher quality and more consistent. So they're interested in how how chimps were similar to us in that way.
0: All right. So, what were the kinds of relationship trends they found among these chimpanzees?
2: Yeah. So, one analog they were looking at was if these chimps were a little more selective about their friendships as they got older, and if they kind of had closer friends the same way that humans do. And they did find that they found that chimps were more selective with who they hung out with as they got older, wanting to hang out with kind of more chimps of their sex and age group, you know, as I guess we do as well. that older chimpanzees were more likely to have kind of like close mutual friends where they Both wanted to sit next to each other, for example, um, instead of more one-sided friendships. That's one thing that they noticed. And then another thing that they were interested in, and again, looking for the human analog, in humans, older humans tend to kind of have a preference for more positive behavior. They're not interested in getting involved in drama quite so much, though, you know, I'm sure we all know someone who that's not true for. And then, so in these chimps, since we're not really, you know, checking what kind of comments they're leaving on Facebook posts to see their positivity. Um, Instead, they were looking at kind of the grooming behavior as well as kind of the more aggressive or like fighting or, you know, scratching kind of behavior. And they noticed a, a little bit unlike humans. They didn't necessarily have more preference for grooming, but their preference for kind of aggressive behavior did go down. So overall, that ratio kind of went up in terms of positivity as I got older, just like with humans. Mm
0: -hmm. So while the study suggests human behavior can ultimately seem pretty similar, there are some notable distinctions to take into consideration. I mean, we are two different species. (laughs) How do things shake down differently in the end?
2: Yeah. So like I was mentioning, one difference is that in humans, we kind of have a clear preference for maybe seeking out more positive activities, you know, more knitting, more brunches, but it wasn't necessarily the case in these chimps. They did, the ratio shifted toward more positive activity, but it didn't seem like the overall amount of positive activity was necessarily itself becoming higher. And then another Interesting aspect to think about, and this is, I think, something of why the researchers were initially interested in kind of this parallel is that they believe in humans, kind of the reason that we form relationships like this and kind of whittle down on the good ones as we get older might have to do with kind of a fear of our own death in a way. We're kind of, we know that maybe time is getting limited and we want to make the most of it, but chimps don't really have that same, you know, awareness. So that was kind of a difference to what might be the driver of these different behaviors.
0: So as humans, what does this tell us about ourselves and our own very nature, or what can it? Does it help make sense of our existing social and emotional bonds?
2: Yeah, I think it can. I think what experts can do with this information, it kind of gives them more pieces in the puzzle of how this sort of behavior evolved through time. Since we do have such a close relationship to chimpanzees, we can kind of look at how the way they behave has then transformed into the way we behave. And what was interesting about this too is that this kind of preference for, you know, closer friendships like that was shown in chimps is not shown in all primates, some other primates, that kind of withdrew as they got older, which humans and chimps did not. And the researchers were thinking that this has something to do with kind of the way that both humans and chimps build their relationships outside of just their kin groups. So we have friends and it seems like chimps also have friends. And kind of that cultivating of friendships and kind of the flexibility of who you have these relationships with might have something to do with that evolutionary history there.
0: Good stuff. Listeners can head to inverse.com for Sarah's full story. Thanks so much, Sarah. Of course. Now, a word from our sponsors. Experts argue friendliness is key to our long-term survival. We made a choice driven by natural selection and evolved to become better at cooperating with others. Up now, Researchers explain why friendliness is the secret to our success.
1: Relative to other extinct human species, we are more dog-like in that we've gone through the same process where natural selection favored individuals that were friendlier, especially to strangers, that we recognize as being in our group, that's completely unique to our species.
0: That was Brian Hare, professor at Duke University and co-author of the book, Survival of the Friendliest, which says that up until 50,000 years ago, there were at least four other human species that were running around on planet Earth with us. Somewhere along the way, something happened that would change everything. Homo sapiens chose to become friendly and the rest, as they say, is history. Friendliness then became a cultural revolution, one that built the foundation of human society. It's what made us so successful as a species and remains the key to our long-term survival. Underlying this is one common trait that we share with bonobos as well as dogs. We're all self-domesticated. And... Driven by natural selection, we made a choice and evolved to become better at reading the intentions of others. This choice became the biggest self-domesticated event in the history of life. Here's Brian Hare again with more.
1: We are built for friendliness. We, all of us carry in our brains a neurobiological network that allows us to learn from each other, communicate with each other, cooperate with each other in ways that are beyond what even the most advanced animal can do. And it explains why we can rapidly innovate and improve technology and why we're able to survive and figure out ways to govern ourselves, solve problems that otherwise might seem intractable.
0: Ultimately, the secret to our own success and the reason we're still here all comes down to our ability to be friendly. Here to flesh this out with us a little bit more is Mind and Body Editor at Inverse Sarah Sloat. Hey, Sarah. Hey, how's it going? Good. So as hard as this is to believe sometimes, what I got from this story is that human beings are essentially hardwired to be friendly. Is that what it really comes down to? Yes.
1: Uh, You could say that homo sapiens evolved to be a big part of this area of research is that homo sapiens, you know, we of just a handful of different humans that have ever existed. We are the, the friendliest humans who have ever lived on earth, as strange as that might sound in comparison to like the day to day. But it comes back to this idea called self-domestication. Um, it's this idea that we went through a selection for friendliness and this explains how we were able to outcompete and survive long after other human species. You know, we went through a process where natural selection favored individuals who were friendlier and more tolerant.
0: So, on an evolutionary level, we see how friendliness became such an important tool for survival. It's the case that Brian Hare makes, who we just heard from, who wrote the book Survival of the Friendliest. You spoke to him as well. He says that we're here today because we learn to be friendly. Is it fair to say that we wouldn't be
1: here if not for that one attribute? Yes, so the thesis of this book is that friendliness is a winning strategy in life. And it informs this neurological network that allows us to learn from each other, communicate with each other, cooperate with each other in ways that are beyond what other advanced animals can do. As scientist Brian Hare told me, the argument is that friendliness can explain why we could rapidly innovate. And and we could also solve problems that might otherwise seem unsolvable. And it really comes down to this idea that friendly people are able to survive because of that collaborative sense of relationships.
0: But it's more than just friendliness, right? We we also went through self-domestication along the way. How do those go hand in hand. And how does that come in and help mold what humans eventually became?
1: Yes. So you can have species be friendly as a result of some change to their psychology or physiology. It makes them more tolerant and nicer to each other. That can happen without self-domestication actually happening. Human self-domestication is a hypothesis that states that among the many driving forces of human evolution, humans selected their companions depending on who was more pro-social, you know, who exhibited pro-social behavior. And self-domestication is this friendliness that actually affects development. It changed developmental pathways, meaning that there is a large impact not just on behavior, but on morphology and physiology as well. Something I think is really cool is that scientists like Brian Hare argue that bonobos and dogs are also self-domesticated and other animals have the potential to go through the same process, although it it plays out a bit differently in humans because of our cognitive power.
0: What also seems to be the case is that it's a tool that we need to nurture. It's not something that just is. We need to work at it because if we don't, you know, we've certainly seen things go in the other direction.
1: Yes. So it's a mechanism that allows us to do many amazing things, but it also comes with what um, Brian describes as an off switch. You know, we're built in a way that if we feel that our group identity is threatened, we can start to see the people who are threatening our group as not fully human. And we may not be aware that this is going on, but the the network that is responsible for the benefits of friendliness, it dampens. And it doesn't apply to those that we feel are the ones who are threatening our group. And I mean, it, it sets up a situation for some pretty horrific behavior um, because we feel like our sense of morality doesn't have to apply to beings that we consciously or subconsciously don't see as human. So yeah, so what allows us to be tolerant and friendly is also what allows us to be, to be cruel.
0: So is the thinking here that this evolution can further continue, you know, now that we understand the mechanism, can we keep using this tool or how can our unique grasp of this tool help us as we continue to evolve or can it even do that, I guess, is the question.
1: That's the hope. You know, the the big question is how can we immunize ourselves against having that switch get flipped? And, you know, in some ways it, it could be recognizing our common humanity with others, you know, even if you feel threatened or even if you feel confused, it's another human being. And in turn, you are in the part of the same group as that human. In turn, you know, studies show I, and I find this so fascinating and, and scary at the same time. But people who see themselves farther away from animals, not being part of the animal kingdom, are more likely to dehumanize groups of people like immigrants. But people who do see themselves as just part of the animal world are less likely to do that. And so I think another Perhaps another pathway towards reclaiming our friendliness is realizing that we are just one small part of a a much larger natural network and um, it's on us to take care of each other.
0: You can read more about survival of the friendliest at inverse.com, where you can also find Sarah's full interview with author Brian Hare. Thanks for the time, Sarah. Thank you. Head to inverse.com to read more about the latest science on friendship. You can find the link in the show notes for all stories we talked about today. If you agree that science and facts matter more than ever, give us a rating and review on iTunes to help more people find The Abstract and other podcasts like it. New episodes of The Abstract are released three times a week. Find old episodes and more original reporting on science, innovation, culture, and entertainment at inverse.com. Got something to say? Email us at theabstract@inverse.com at with any questions, suggestions, story ideas, and anything else on your mind. Look for The Abstract Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast app you use. For Inverse, I'm Tanya Bustos. Thanks for listening.